This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to our number three of the final drive, which just so happens to be the Titan Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaFerty, along with my producer, Michael, give us honor joining you this evening. And we want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can give us a call at 1-694-055, or you can call and a nice little pulse for how things are are going out there in listening land as well. And someone I love listening to who has great knowledge on all things Alabama is our next guest here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Luke Robinson joins us. Luke, how's it going, my friend? Doing great. How are you guys today? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed, excited about tonight's opportunity for the two young men who will be sitting in many green room for and representing the University of Alabama, what many consider to be the greatest Alabama to do player of all time, Miller, from a one-year standpoint, joining him in the green room as well. What a great time for Alabama basketball. It really is. It's been a great week for Alabama basketball, and, and this could really cap it off, especially if Noah Clowney could sneak into the back end of the lottery. I don't think it'll happen. But um, I, I think that some people will regret not doing it later on because he's such a great defender and he's so versatile. Uh, he's got to work on his shooting a little bit. But, um, you know, it's been a great week. Uh, you, you get a commitment from Jerry Stevenson uh, yesterday. They also announced the official uh, release of the schedule with Purdue in Toronto and Arizona and Phoenix. We already knew those were happening, but this this makes it official, puts a stamp on it. And then, of course, the draft tonight where Brandon Miller, will, where Bryce Young will be, who went number one overall. I think really any other year, uh, for the most part, Brandon Miller would probably go number one. But this Victor Wimbenyama, I think I'm saying that correctly, is it. such a freakazoid. He's got to go number one. I mean, you're seven five, and uh, you don't trip over yourself every time you take two steps. I mean, you're going to go number one in the NBA draft. He can. I was just listening to him talk about how he can stand flat-footed under the goal and uh, easily touch the rim. I mean, what are you going to do with that? You got you got to draft that number one. <clears throat> and um, but back to Miller, like you said, I mean. I think he's the best player in Alabama history. I've been for a while. I think Bryce Young's the best player in Alabama in ball history. So uh, pretty unbelievable to have both those guys uh, on with us at the same time. And Brandon Miller did a lot for Alabama. And, and for him, the false narratives out there about his involvement in, in that tragedy back in January is, is and for him to come through that and, and still keep his poise and play as well as he did, it speaks volumes about his mental uh, capacity. Luke, uh, we're talking to Luke Robinson, Luke on Bama. Let's talk about the week it's been for Alabama basketball. You land Jaron Stevenson, Nate Oates goes into UNC's backyard, pulls a recruit from the 2024 class from him. I mean, what? what I, can't, I can't even put words into what Nate Oates is doing for this program. So that doesn't include tonight. Then uh, Virginia and North Carolina. Virginia hadn't had any. 
and um, Alabama's had more than North Carolina has. So, look, I, I'm not saying Alabama's a better program than North Carolina or anything like that. I'm saying there's a new age. I mean, you look around and uh, you, you see Alabama competing. They've won two SEC titles and two SEC basketball uh, tournament titles in the last three years. Okay, I, I talked to the Lockdown Arkansas host. He loves to point out, yeah, but y'all can't get past the Sweet 16. Well, I'm, I'm really okay with that. I would not trade my Alabama status uh, and what Alabama's done for what, say, Arkansas has done over the last three years. I wouldn't trade it at all. At all. I mean, Arkansas doesn't have an SEC title or a tournament title. They, they've uh, made it to the lead eight a few times, and I think that's awesome. But, uh, frankly, I, I like where Alabama sits. They're going to keep being there. I mean, when you get guys like Jaron Stevenson, Grant Nelson will eventually be Oh, shoot, Rylan Griffin, who's going to take a step up this year. Mark Sears coming back. JQ coming back. There's go- this is going to be another great year. And as long as you keep scheduling this way, where you schedule a Purdue with a Zach Eady, I mean, that's going to be a must-watch game for everybody. Grant Nelson against Zach Eady, I mean, that's just that's must-see basketball. In Toronto, then you talk about the game in Phoenix. You've got Ohio State in that game in, in Florida in that tournament. And uh, it's just a lot of fun that Nate Oates is putting out there. And then you, uh, next year you're even difficult games and makes it very fun so that they're uh, battle-tested a little bit later on. And look, hey, yeah, they did. They lost to the sweet, in the Sweet 16 this year, but they lost to the team that went and played for a national championship. And they, they also, one of their other few losses this year was a team that won the national championship. So I, I think Alabama has a lot to be proud about. We're speaking with Luke Robinson, host of Locked On Bama. And, Luke, we had Jason Caffey on moments ago talking about Manny Oates and the comparison and the the drop-off when David Hobbs kind of took over. And he mentioned, he said, you know, David Hobbs was just that a great assistant coach, never a great head coach, not taking anything away from David Hobbs' coaching resume, but it is what it is. And, the excitement for Alabama basketball, of course, you look at Mark Godfrey making it to the Elite Eight, and that was a team that brought a lot of excitement to Alabama fans. But sustaining it has been the problem with Alabama basketball. And since Nate Oates has come along, that's what you've seen. You've seen, you mentioned moments ago about parity in college basketball or the shift of by the Bloods kind of not really stepping up to the forefront and making everybody else a doormat. But Alabama, under NATO, has arrived full-time from a basketball standpoint. I don't think there's any doubt. Because they haven't been to the Final Four, people sort of brush them off. But they've got, uh, I think, the second-most SEC tournament titles uh, behind Kentucky. And Kentucky's got some ridiculous lead and some ridiculous number. But, you know, Alabama, if you just take Kentucky out of the mix, which is saying a lot, then Alabama is right there uh, with everybody else. Now, they hadn't won a national championship. They hadn't been to a Final Four. But, again, I think if you keep recruiting like this, that's going to change. And all you can ask for is an opportunity every year. And Alabama has been going to the NCAA tournament uh, very uh, routinely now. They will go again next year. I have no doubt about that. And as long as you keep there and take your lumps maybe a little bit, on the front end, and you've got to sell having fun basketball. Look, uh, somebody like Brandon Miller, okay, he, he really did Alabama more of a favor 
then Alabama did him a favor when you're talking about the opportunity to play in college. Same thing with Jabari Smith at Auburn. Jabari Smith did more for Auburn than vice versa. There's no doubt about it because these kids don't have to. They would have been drafted very, very highly without college, but because there's this rule, they have to come. So when those kids come, you have to uh, capitalize on that as much as you can. And I think Auburn did it with Jabari Smith. I think Alabama did it with Brandon Miller. You know, they won their won the conference. Say, I think both of those teams did, and then Alabama also went to the Sweet 16 and won the tournament. So, I mean, I think they capitalized on the opportunity. And you look around at somebody about in the summer, and Alabama's in the top. They were in the top 20, or excuse me, top 25. Now they're in the top, you know, 15, 16 because people assume they're getting Grant Nelson. And this was before Jaron Stevenson committed. So it wouldn't shock me if Alabama moves into some people's top 10. Uh, I've seen Texas A&M in there. I've seen uh, uh, a couple of other SEC teams that aren't coming to mind right now for whatever, Tennessee, Arkansas. But you know who's not in there? Kentucky. Kentucky isn't in either one of them. And the reason is that they have so much turnover um, that finally some of this, this type of turnover that John Calipari has always had it finally may be catching up to him in a regard because what you have to do is when you have a new team just about every single year, you have to make sure that everybody you get is doesn't miss, that nobody can be a bust. And he started to have a few guys that really aren't as good as uh, some of the other, Anthony Davis or somebody like that. He's, um, you know, who's in the past, but he hadn't had one of those necessarily recently. And he, he, when you get to a point where you can't miss on your top two or three guys because you've got all new players, well, it makes it pretty difficult. And um, so now there is a sort of a changing of the guard. Kentucky's always going to be Kentucky. Kentucky's always going to be a problem. But, you know, when you think that Blue Bloods can't fall off a little bit, look at Indiana. I mean, Indiana's a pretty, pretty close uh, to Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke, et cetera. And they really haven't been a factor for a while. Uh, so you can fall off, and um, you've just got to always stay on top of it. And, and Nate Oates is doing a great job of getting Alabama message out there. And I, here's one other thing I'll throw in, and I know some basketball people may not agree with me. I'm a basketball I consider myself an Alabama basketball guy. But I think the Nick Saban director is helping out some. I mean, elevated the brand across the board. And so it's helped a, a guy like Nate Oates, who also comes in very energetic. You can't be lazy about it. You've got to, again, you've got to be able to capitalize on that. But NATO does a marvelous job of that. I hope Alabama locks him up for as long as he can be here. Yeah, I, that's a fantastic <clears throat> point because we kind of talked about that earlier this week, Luke. And, and the comparisons that, that you make to, to Blue Bloods of college football as well. Alabama hit that drought. When you have a national championship in 92 and you don't see another one until 09, it's very similar to the same fate as a Nebraska football fan base or Notre Dame kind of had that opportunity to experience that. And you mentioned that that Brandon Miller meant more to Alabama than, than anything and, and needed – Alabama needed him more. I agree with you, and I was watching a special today. I was not aware of this, and this is why another reason that, that you really have to pull for Brandon Miller. His mother battling breast cancer, and she waited to tell him until after March Madness was over. She went through everything that she was going through with breast cancer for two months, especially with everything that transpired in January with the unfortunate murder that occurred and 
And to a man, Brandon Miller sat there and, and you know, said he really couldn't talk about the specifics of it today with, with Mr. Schaaf, but definitely still talked about the fact that what his mother is going through currently. I mean, you know, these people have been through the ringer, and it would have been so easy for a guy like Brandon Miller to say, you know what, I'm, I don't have to deal with this. I'm just going to drop out of school and wait to be drafted. Now, it might have cost him a spot or two, but he would have still gone to uh, all the tryouts, and everybody still would have liked him. He still would have been drafted very highly. That's why I think Alabama fans need, really need to appreciate him and, and, and just um, really get behind him because this is a guy that, that can really elevate your program even more. And I think he's a, a fantastic kid. I mean, there, there's unfair. He, some loose associate, what went down that night, <clears throat> so use the, and it's unfair. It really weapon unfair to him. Um, they, 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 people use the terminology deeper into this than to paint such a broad brush. And um, Brandon Miller really is, is, boy, his reputation was a victim here, too. I obviously don't want to take anything away from the deceased and anything away from the tragedy. Uh, that that is awful. Couldn't feel any uh, worse for uh, that young lady's family. But um, you know, again, Brandon Miller took a lot of a uh, lot of heat for something that that he didn't deserve. And so for him to work through that, I mean, imagine if you were a, simply a, associated with, with killing somebody and and you really had nothing to do with it for the most part, right? And people are going to always associate you with that, and, and they don't even want to hear your story. Nobody wants to hear the actual, what actually went down. They already have the narrative. And people made him out to be, you know, they just demonized him. And um, it's really unfair. And I understand a lot of times when something like this happens, you, you look for a villain, you look for somebody to take your anger out on, and it's typically the highest-profile person that has any uh, semblance of an association with it. And that's, that's what people like to do is build you up and tear you down. Um, but I feel like Brandon Miller came through that with, with flying colors, essentially. I mean, he could have uh, still played at Alabama and let it affect him mentally. He could have just dropped out of school. He could have done a lot of things. But instead, I mean, he, he came out and was still in the regular player of the year. Uh, he, uh, you know, he led his team to a championship, and I think the tournament and the regular season. And I think that's going to uh, mean a lot at the next level. And I think people are really appreciate him. Well, I will HSAA finals basketball and football here in the state of Alabama. When you hear great stories about a former Mr. Basketball and a former Alabama Crimson Tide member becoming and making history at John Carroll Catholic High School, Ronald Steele becomes the new principal at John Carroll being the first black principal in the school's history. I know that he was exciting to watch in high school, was exciting to definitely to watch playing basketball at Alabama, but now having an opportunity to be John Carroll's, his alma mater's principal as well. Yeah, it's my wife's alma mater as well, uh, both John Carroll and he could not be any nicer. I mean, just I'm really a gentleman all the way around. I think that John Carroll, this is a perfect fit. He's going to go there, and he's going to uh, have a love for that uh, high school, and he's going to do the best he can to make it the best again. I mean, John Carroll has uh, been as athletically, I don't know what to say, successful as maybe they have in the past. Uh, I think he's going to do a lot of things to try and turn that around. And not only that, he's going to do it while making sure that academically the high school keeps its lofty standards. Uh, Ronald Steele is, is one of the great ones. And if you're making an all-time Alabama team, 
uh, there's a good chance he's going to be on it. Julian Sayan named MVP of the Elite 11 camp. What are the chances that, and we've talked about this a lot, but what do you think the good. chances are that he comes in and starts as a freshman next year? I mean, obviously, it goes without saying, a lot's going to be, I'm not trying to take anything away from Buckner or Jalen Melrose or Ty Simpson or, or shoot Dylan Lonergan or, or Eli Holstein. I'm not trying to take anything away from those guys. Julian Sayan's got a different feel about him. I mean, the same kind of feel Bryce Young had, the same kind of feel Tua Tungabaloa had. Just, you know, just gifted from God. And not only that, a hard worker and a good kid. And when you have that combination, usually good things are going to happen. And I feel like Julian Sayan is, is that kind of player. Um, I, it wouldn't shock me if in the end he became the number one player in this class. I know Dylan Rayola for Georgia, and that's going to be pretty a disgusting team. A Buford Georgia team. They got KJ Bolden, Edric Houston, both five stars, and now you bring in Rayola at quarterback. I mean, that is just sick. Buford's going to be something special. But um, and and that also helps Georgia recruiting those two, and and his being in the state, you know, helps assure that he will be state committed to Georgia. But you know, I think Julian Sayan um, could take over this number one spot. His performance in the Elite Eleven was awesome. And I know it was no pads. I understand the, the, the parameters of this thing. At the same time, I think that you can see enough to understand how good this young man is. And, uh, you know, he had some jump passes and some, uh, you know, sort of going against his body type passes. And everybody likes to say, oh, okay, you know, big deal. But, you know, in today's age, I think you ha- people are cool with you making those passes now. Coaches are. But it used to be in the past. That, I mean, everybody had the Gene Stallings philosophy of, you know, two things can happen, one of them's positive. I mean, you can either complete it, be incomplete, or you can throw a pick. And that's the way he looked at passing, right? And that's how Alabama won a national championship with Jay Barker throwing for, what, about 17 yards in the national championship game. Um, but now you can't do that. You've got to have a quarterback. You can have a superstar quarterback and mediocre everything else and make serious noise. But you can have superstar everything else and a mediocre quarterback and lose four games. It, the quarterback is the most, posi- most important position in sports now to me. And so uh, Nick Saban's recognized that, and I think that's why you know Alabama's had such a talented run of quarterbacks. He's focused on that a little bit more. Um, and when you go out there and you fly to Julian Sayan, you get him early. You let Alabama still going to be you know fighting off suitors for Ryan Williams. And uh, so you, you want to have a quarterback that can get them the ball because these receivers are very, very gifted. And the more that uh, you get them the ball in open spaces, better it's going to look for them and the better it's going to look to NFL scouts. And so wide receivers are smart about that. They, they know where to go. They know who's got good quarterbacks. Well, we're speaking with Luke Robinson, and Luke got, got one more question for you here. Sterling Dixon Jr., here out of Mobile Christian, he shut down his recruitment, and he's all in for Alabama after coming on his official visit this past weekend. But when you see on Father's Day Nick Saban play a little VR, get into the virtual reality now, showing us he can two-step a little bit and shows us that he's into the virtual reality games as well and goes hard as a 71-year-old. You got to love that out of Alabama's head coach. Yeah, I, I I don't even know what world I'm living in anymore. Nick Saban's taking trips to Italy uh, using virtual reality. Alabama's getting five stars out of North Carolina in basketball. I, I don't even know what's going on. It's it's a parallel universe right now. But uh, I'm enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. And I think you know the writer side of Nick Saban is, is one side that 
I think has always been there. He just has been very reluctant to let other people see it. I think Miss Terry has always seen it, but and that's why she's been sort of coy about it from time to time in the past. But now he's he's opening up a little bit more about some of this stuff, and uh, he's probably realizing, hey, I might have to do some virtual reality instead of the electric slide. These days. <laughs> I love it. Luke, how can anywhere you get your podcast, we're on YouTube, Locked on Battle. We had a reaction show to Jaron Stevenson committing yesterday. We also did another show today where we talked about all the big-time visitors coming in this weekend, talked about Daniel Hill coming in from Mississippi, a couple of guys coming in from California, and uh, Jimmy Stein is my co-host, a mobile and internet legend. So uh, anywhere you get your podcast and on YouTube, just Locked on Bama. Luke, thank you so much. Roll Tide Roll, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right, guys, roll tide. Luke Robinson joining us for the Tide and Tiger Report this afternoon. And coming up next, making his debut on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Phil Steele, and you're listening to WNSP 105. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. Welcome back to the final drive. Titan Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Thursday evening as the red carpet has been rolled out at the NBA draft. Brandon Miller on the big stage has one of the guys suits and and what i like to do is he give an evaluation of of brad suits and and what the guys will wear suit at the nba draft versus what was for the nfl draft to see because that sports suits or carpet the red carpet for our next guest here on the tide and tiger report making his debut cole pinkston he's with auburn recruiting and football analyst for on three sports and auburn live on three and can't thank Cole enough for joining us. Cole, how are you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed and just excited <laughs> that we're getting closer to SEC Media Days and all and back to fall practice has immediately injected a jolt into this Auburn program and where it's going to start is with the recruiting process, first and foremost, of high school athletes. Of course, the transfer portal. And Hugh Freeze hit the ground running and has a tremendous, experienced, and seasoned quarterback coming back starting for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, you, you know, they, they got a guy that started several games, a guy that's thrown for uh, plenty of yards and knows what he's doing. Uh, as a quarterback, and I'm sure that'll be the guy. You know, don't think he was brought in to, to sit and watch. I think he was brought in to be the star. He's got to earn it, but uh, Peyton Thorne from Michigan State, man, I think he's, you know, I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a solid, a lot of game manager type guy. Not going to wow you with his athleticism, not going to wow you with man, a huge arm, but gets a lot of things done and, and does a lot of things right. And uh, wild a lot of people is when you have high profile recruits come on to campus for the official visit, one being Perry Uno Thompson from right down here at Foley High School. He's a verbal commit to Alabama, but boy, oh boy, did Auburn roll out the red carpet for him on his official visit to the Plains, and he much so that he said Alabama and Auburn now are 50-50 in regards to the recruiting cycle. <laughs> 
Yeah, he did. He did. I was standing there when he said that. Neck and neck, I think, is the term he used. Uh, we've known that. We've known that Auburn was right there for a little while. Uh, here's, here's the thing. Is Auburn going to be able to flip him? I don't know. I can't answer that question. That, that's going to be, you know, Hugh Freeze speaks about flipping the script all the time, taking what, what's been at Auburn the past couple of years and, and completely changing that. And he wants to do it right now. Well, I, Auburn, maybe he can't on the field, but in recruiting him. At the same time, Auburn's got a shot here. Uh, I don't. I don't want to rule out Auburn, and I'm only going off of past experience and seeing how Alabama has been able to secure these guys when they have them committed and failed attempts from Auburn to flip guys. But it seems like if there was a chance to get somebody, Perry Thompson would be the guy, and uh, we'll find out pretty soon because he wants to wrap things up. He wants to have, and I'm doing air quotes, a final uh, decision here in July, more than likely. So I think Auburn's okay right now, but they're going to have to hold on. Uh, if they have a lead at all, they're going to have to hold on to it until he makes his final decision. Carl Auburn able to land Joseph Phillips over Georgia in a decision that really came as a surprise. It seemed like Georgia thought he was a lock to, uh, to end up at, uh, playing for Kirby Smart. What were your thoughts and what was your level of surprise on that one? Well, first of all, Joe Phillips, that's a guy that we've been tracking. Didn't have any offers, and it wasn't but a week or two later, and he was getting offers from Clemson, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Auburn, Georgia, Bama. So this guy blew up out of nowhere, and if you watch his tape, you can understand why. He's just one of those freaky athletes. He can do a lot of different things. I don't even think he knows how athletic he is at this point. Uh, but that's why Georgia liked him. That's why Georgia put the full-court press on him and said, you know, this is the kind of guy – this kind of athlete we've been winning with over the past couple of years. Uh, but, you know, he is 15 minutes down the road from Auburn, and if you let a guy like that get away, especially to a rival like Georgia, it's just not a good look, number one. Number two, you know, it does not help you at all in, in your constant battle and trying to beat Georgia and Bama and Austria schools. So they right at the end and kept him home. Well, it's not only about – this young man that they're able to get from Booker T. Washington and Joseph Phillips. It's definitely a step in the right direction from Hugh Freeze, and it definitely, again, starts with that recruiting process. And Hugh Freeze and his staff are, are trying to, to do what Nick Saban has been able to accomplish, and that's close the doors around the state of Alabama. But, again, build a great rapport with high school coaches and that's where it's going to start because here in mobile alabama high school football and really across the state of alabama it just means more that starts with your collegiate county app going on to the nfl but the relationships what's been the difference with hugh freeze and him building relationships with high school coaches well, I think I think effort number one. It's just been a an all out staff effort to to build those relationships. They know how important it is to win your state. And, and look at Alabama. You know they've like you said they put a lockdown on the state. Uh, the top ten players usually don't get out of the reach of Alabama, and that's why they're winning. They're keeping guys that are passionate about Alabama football at home. Well, there's a lot of guys in the state that are passionate about Auburn, and they can be passionate about Auburn. If, if you can get them away from Alabama or get them from leaving the state and going to Georgia, Clemson, like they have been in past years. So they're working from inside out, basically, to 
when they went on the road back in, in relationships, they started in the state of Alabama. Each coach went to high schools in the state of Alabama. They went out to the country, different places, Georgia, Florida, uh, Louisiana, you know, all the states surrounding, and then ended back in the state of Alabama, visited some of the same people again, and said, look, there's a reason why we wanted to stop by more than once. You are the priorities here. So I think that's been good. I mean, you haven't been been in charge very long if you're Hugh Freeze and his staff, but so far so good, man. They're on the right track. Coach Freeze dipping down to Auburn. About what Auburn fans can expect out of Bryce Kane. Yeah, man, Bryce Kane, that's that's sort of an under-the-radar guy right now, a three-star guy, and really the reason is because he hasn't played football all that long. He's the baseball guy. Uh, got into football big time last year as a junior, and he really showed out. He's, he's a deep threat, a guy with you know tons of speed. I watched him in person at Auburn's camp run a 4-3, uh, and he did it more than once. And I was, you know, they kept checking the clock, but it was right. So that's a guy with a lot of speed. Not a big guy, but, you know, today's game is about speed. It doesn't really matter what your size is as a receiver. Um, that's a guy that, honestly, you know, he's the type of receiver we've seen at Alabama. We've seen at places just because they could beat the coverage going over the top and win those battles. Great. I just really like Bryce Kane. I think he's got a lot to his game, and I think he hadn't even scratched the surface yet. Well, that's great to hear. If you're a Baker Hornet fan, and even if you that is speed for sure. I mean, that's that's natural. That's a God-given ability to where you can take and utilize and hone that skill, which I know he will be able to do when he arrives on the planes to continue his playing career. But some of the official visits that have come down the pipe here as we get ready to end June, it's so very important because June is that opportunity where all these coaches have seven on seven on their campuses they have individual team camps they also have their individual skills position camps and then july kind of quiets down as they get ready to prepare for what is coming with all practice after sc still trying to get come to campus and be a part of the hugh freeze era well uh they're gonna. They're, they pretty much wrapped up official official visits for June. Uh, as soon as July hits, that's dead period, meaning you can't have recruits on campus. Uh, coaches cannot go see recruits. Of course, they can still work the phones, but visits are not happening during July until July 24th or 26th, something like that. So, Auburn's pretty much wrapped it up here. They they've had just about every top target on campus for official visits. That includes, you know, Alabama commit Perry Thompson, Alabama commit. Uh, five-star game, Jalen Mbakwe. Uh, under several offensive linemen they had in last weekend, I had a guy from Hawaii there. That, I mean, the list goes on. So many guys, and, and it seems like the big thing with the official visits, every time a guy left from his official visit from Auburn, it seemed like Auburn had really boosted their chances with that guy. And that includes Perry Thompson. That includes Jalen Mbakwe and five-star receiver Cam Coleman from Central Phoenix City. Uh, like I said, the list goes on, but all of those guys have come in for official visits. You'll have some that are going to wait till the fall. They want to do it during a game weekend, which is understandable. Uh, but uh, pretty much, I think everything's pretty quiet right now, uh, heading into the dead period for Auburn, other than a few unofficial visitors that are sprinkling in here. And, and I really think that 
Auburn fans can be patient, and we're speaking with Cole Pinkston, who is really into all recruiting and football analytics on three sports and all down to have on three. And, you know, Cole here at Alabama to where he went seven and six and even had a home loss to Louisiana Monroe. Patience is definitely having to be a virtue, but if Hugh Freeze can get out of the shoots early and go to the left coast and defeat California and then come back and get ready and prepare for that first SEC game against Texas A&M on the road, what do you look at from a successful? Is there a win total that you would give for Auburn moving forward into Hugh Freeze's second year? Well, I think – I think most experts have, have narrowed it down and given them. Then that would mean Auburn is beating somebody they're not expected to beat. Um, maybe an LSU, maybe an A&M, maybe, you know, an Alabama, Georgia, somebody of that caliber. they got to win some of those games, number, number one. Basically, if you can win one of those toss-up games, and I'm for the record, I'm not calling Alabama or Georgia toss-up games. Right now they are heavily favored, and they should be. Uh, but when you get to, you know, LSU, you get to A&M, you get to Ole Miss, those are toss-up games where it's really tough to call, uh, and it may be even tougher to call when we get to that point. you got to win one or two of those games. And when you do that, and if you take care of business in the games you're supposed to, you'll end up with a, a, a winning record in your first year as head coach. And, and that would be Auburn getting the opportunity to not only be in just a six-win bowl game, but you're finding a way to get to seven or eight. I think that that's the way that you overwhelmingly want to be. And for Hugh Freeze, depth is is so important. Is there a particular position that Auburn does have to where we knew at O-line this year, we knew at quarterback, outside of that and addressing that this year, moving forward in 24 and 25, what other positions can Auburn strengthen up? Well, you know, when Hugh Freeze stepped in, there really wasn't, Every single position looked like it needed some help, if we're being honest. Quarterback, really running back, I think you're okay. Receiver needed help. Offensive line needed help. Defensive line needed help. Linebacker, you could pretty much go through the whole roster and, and see the holes. Uh, but 20 transfer portal pickups, man, he, he really shored up a lot of things doing that. Not only did he get guys uh, from the portal, he got guys that were starting other places. I can't really go through the list for guys that he brought in and say this guy was not um, anything where he came from. They were starting or played a key role. Um, and several SEC, a lot of a lot of receivers won. Offensive line, I think, is going to be so so much improved. And if you followed Auburn, you know that's been a problem in the past few years, especially with the recruiting. And of course, that's that's the product you get on the field when you don't recruit well. So. Uh, if there's a position right now I'm watching that you know may may be an issue for Auburn this season, I'm looking at the secondary. Now, Auburn's got three guys that could go pro in the secondary this coming year: DJ James, Scott, M.I. Pritchett, um, Simpson, young guys, uh, Keontae Scott, several guys like that are really good players, but they don't have earning right behind them. They have young guys, Cole coming in. So that appreciate a little bit concerning right now if you're an average of the Auburn Tigers. AuburnLiveOn3.com. Yeah, you need to you need to uh, be there and be on the corner message board. That's where the magic happens. Uh, I think you can get it for under seven dollars a month, man. Cole Pinkston, thank you so very much, and we look forward to making you a regular here on the Titan Tiger Report.
Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Cole Pinkston joining us for the Tide and Tiger Report this afternoon here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The Final Drive with live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Friday afternoon. want to thank everyone for tuning in and having us locked in this afternoon. And, of course, you can always follow us on the app or give us a call at 251-694-1055. Have a great show scheduled for you this Friday afternoon and evening. Doug Conkle scheduled to join us to talk a little Jag Jungle and the recruiting that Graham again today. David Basil will keep us posted on what's going on with the Arkansas Razorbacks because they've had a pretty good NBA draft and their football season upcoming. We'll talk to him about the scheduling for the Razorbacks. Ross Jackson scheduled to join us to talk the New Orleans Saints. Of course, OTAs going on with the Saints and then at 5.30 scheduled to be in studio with us is Blaine Clausell. Blaine Clausell played his prep football at Baker High School and, of course, went on to play for Mississippi State. And he has a huge offensive lineman camp coming up this weekend. And we'll talk to Blaine about that. But last night, some great LSU College World Series with Wake Forest going on along with the NBA draft. And last night, no surprises that Victor Wimbenyama goes number one overall to the San Antonio Spurs. You love to see the type of emotion and the fact that the green room wasn't just a one or two table type of deal. They had that bad boy opened up to where you could have all your friends and family and agents and you would have some people that had 10 to 12 guests there in the green room, which was a lot different than what we've seen in the past. Great insight and shows talk to raw emotion there. But as far as the draft was concerned, really no surprises and not as many trades as I would have thought, of course. I've been saying all along Brandon Miller was going to go number two to the Charlotte Hornets. And, of course, when he hears his name called, you know, he he already said who he thought his goat was in Paul George. But I've said it, too, even though when he made that statement a couple of days ago, Michael Jordan didn't hold it against him. The Bobcats or, excuse me, the Hornets organization decides to go ahead and pull that trigger and help make Alabama history from a basketball standpoint. 
Yeah, the odds had kind of shifted back and forth quite a bit as to whether Miller or Scoot was going to go number two. And I think by the time, or at least like an hour before the draft, it was, based on what we've heard, it's probably going to be Brandon Miller. Let's go to Adam Silver for the pick. It it is a little bit annoying. It kind of ruins the drama if if you're just watching the draft. But, you know, it is what it is. You can have other gripes with ESPN as well. You brought up the, uh, the green room table thing. I think J.J. Redick made some comment during the broadcast about how his sister like couldn't be at the draft because they used to be so strict back when he was coming up. Uh, I think he was drafted in like 05 or something like that. But uh, so that was funny to hear. But yeah, it's you know it should be you should be able to have whoever you want at the draft if you are going to attend it in small gathering with family and friends. And he was glad that he did make the decision to go to the draft. And you know he, he uh, you got to hear from his parents and all that. It, it was a nice moment. It really, there was a lot of great moments, and, and one of the things that I love is when they roll out that red carpet, whether it's the NFL draft, the, the NBA draft, the NHL draft, you're always going to see what attire, what taste their tailors are going to have, and you've seen a lot of, one of the things that I know my son noticed a lot of is the fact that almost every player had some type of ice, some type of chain some type of jewelry around their neck or uh, had the high price watch or something in regards to showing, hey, look, you know, I'm, this is how I'm going to enter the league. I'm going to enter it with a fashion statement. But I, I like the fact that you have a family affair. I mean, Brandon Miller makes his history good, but the brothers, I'm in and Asar Thompson, that is a story in and of itself with twins going four and five back to back, and they had a little bet going on who would be the first pick. But it's the first time since the 76 ABA-NBA merger that you have brothers go four or five, and there's plenty of brother tandems that we'll talk about and would love to hear from people in the app. You can give us a call. What is the best brother tandem of all time? The best brother tandem of all time. I mean, when you look at it from an NBA standpoint, is it is ball brothers? Does it have the potencies of the world? What combination of athletes are the best brothers, the best brother tandem in any sport? But these young brothers going four and five. One, I'm in going to the Rockets and a sore going to the Pistons. I think that what you also had a chance to see was the fact that play high school basketball and have an opportunity to go to college. Why why, why go to college? I mean, you look at Wimbanyama straight from France, no college. Brandon well. Miller, he, the best Alabama player ever, so he definitely made the right decisions. And then when you really look at Anthony Black, Going in with the Orlando Magic at six, you, you jump right into the top ten picks. And I don't know if it's a new trend to where you're going to start seeing everyone skip college altogether and go ahead and take that G League money. But I, I will say this. If you compare NIL money to G League money, I, I think that you would have an opportunity to make more NIL money than you would G League money. Because I'll give you a fact, Angel Reese, Bayou Barbie, she's making over $2 million 
in NIL, when she makes it to the WNBA, her salary won't even come close. It'll probably take her three years to make $2 million in the WNBA. So when these athletes decide to any other year where there's not a unicorn in Wimbayama, I, I have an opportunity to be the first pick and probably would have been the first pick ahead of Brandon Miller. So that part is a lot of fun when you start looking at it. But the best brother tandems to ever play the games, that's something I would I would love to, to hear. When you have to think about that, Michael, I mean, is it is it the Mannings? Are they the best pair of brothers to ever play any sport, whether it's football, mm. basketball, hockey, golf, tennis? I mean, you think about the, the Williams sisters and Venus and Serena start looking at brothers and sisters, that tandem, not something that you see a lot of, especially – the historic night that you saw last night, and then the lineage of one that you see in Jet Howard. Jawan Howard comes out, and Jet Howard is 19 years apart from his dad. And to be able to follow in those footsteps, that's something that you don't see a lot of either, is father-son footsteps. Yeah, I'd probably... I think the Mannings are probably the default answer on that right now. I mean, you have two, I guess, Eli's a Hall of Famer. Uh, it's still bitter on that one. But, uh, you know, if it weren't for two playoff runs, he's a average to below average career quarterback. But that's not a conversation we need to get into on uh, on a Friday in June. Maybe we'll save that one for another day. But, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of just got to be the default answer on that at least for now none, none of if you have an opportunity to to be Eli and Eli can poke fun at Peyton and say look my, my whole goal was even though I'm younger brother to win more Super Bowls than you or when you look at the Williams sisters um, from a, a combination standpoint younger sister becomes better than older sister there's something about any brother or sister combination that that make it professionally as a family, that you're just you. you the question with siblings, I, I think you'd have to say the Williams sisters kind of dominate that question. So but if you're asking brothers specifically, sisters, you know, just ampulation to where that's something you don't see a lot. Von Diggs, another combination. You, They're getting you, up there. You don't. You don't see. Got a top five wide receiver and a top ten-ish corner. Well, both of them are on the rise, but I, I just think that when you look at the dynamics of what you saw last night, whether it was father-son or whether you look at last year with Jay Nivey having an opportunity to see his mom play professional women's basketball, it the, the father-son, mother-son dynamic or the brother's dynamic, that's just something that... When you have kids and you're one like the ball dad, you you don't he he proclaimed exactly was really amazed with all of the tradition that goes into it. And then there were a lot of names that weren't called last night. I, I'll go ahead and and throw out one of the biggest people that should have stayed in the in college is Betty Ako. Yeah, uh, I mean. Well, we knew that your, your head coach but here's my thing if i know that and you know that who, I don't who do know. you think who i mean who do you think he was I, I don't really know. listening to i i, I your advisors at that point in time i continue to struggle for an explanation as to why Betty Ako kept his name on the nba draft and you hate it he 
he went undrafted. He, there are reports, and I don't know if they're confirmed at the point as to whether he signed a I suppose, training camp opportunity with the Spurs. Or chance to go up against Wembenyama, which is, I don't know, an opportunity for him, I suppose. It'd be funny. If, it, it's unfortunate. I think we kind of knew this was going to happen. Whether he thought he had a really good chance of being drafted, whether a team told him they really like his game, I, I think it's possible teams told him that he's maxed out in college and, and uh, you know, another year is not going to do much for him. Some guys just don't like school and are, and are ready to get out of there and start making money even if it is at the G League level. Uh, the other thing, too, for Bidiaco, I mean, if you look at his position specifically... Look at some of the guys who went undrafted last night. Adama Sanogo, MVP of college basketball. These are guys who don't get drafted in the NBA, and it's kind of this new age thing in the NBA where elite college big men that don't have game that translates directly to, like, today's NBA. You know, they're not shooters. They're not, like, supremely athletic and don't offer a ton offensively, although, I thought, man, I, I didn't get Shibuya not getting drafted, but... I mean, he was a guy who was in the draft pool last season and elected to come back to school. And probably the same thing would have would have happened last year. He would have gone undrafted. It's these these guys just don't get drafted anymore, and, and it stinks. And it's kind of just reality for the elite college big man anymore, unless you have like an outside shot. Like Noah Clowney went twenty first overall last night. I mean, he's a power forward, not a center. But uh, I'm the draw man. I think you'll you like you saw Zach Eady elect to come back. I kill his name was in the draft pool. I'm th- like right now, that guy's going on second round next year. I, I I can pretty much to guess he's going to go undrafted. It's just it's just what it is for these guys at this point. I Sonogo, what else what else could the guy have done? He was the best player in college basketball. He led his team to a national During championship the run for sure. During the tournament run, he was he was the best basketball player on in in the entire NCAA tournament run. It's uh, like, what else could the guy do to establish himself as an NBA prospect? But you look at people like Drew Timmy. Timmy time is what was the hype. You know, he, he could have come back or decided the way is one of the SEC players of the year. So to be an Former SEC player, player of, the of the year and not get drafted and to be a free agent, I, I just, you know, the selections make you wonder – what what did what else could he have done? Because he could have come back to Kentucky. But the other flip side of that is, what else do you have to gain by coming back? So that's something that we'll continue to talk about. I mean, Arkansas could have had four players if Ricky Council the fourth gets drafted. He would have had an opportunity to make that number four for Coach Musselman. So the NBA draft has come and gone, and we'll continue to talk about. What we talk about Grady Dick and his Kansas outfit that I put on the Dorothy shining like shimmering in red. Pretty interesting outfit that he had on. But we'll come back and talk a little bit of the. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. Welcome back to a Friday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you. And, of course, last night, that split-screen action between the NBA draft and the College World Series. 
pretty dramatic fashion, LSU walks White with the historic home run there. You can't really write a better script than being in Omaha and the College World Series having an opportunity not only to have a winning hit, but yeah. to clear the wall and do so as a transfer portal a guy. No doubter, too. I mean, you you just when you hear that tink come off that bat, then you know that there's going to be trouble. Awesome, man! The excitement, more Jello shots, more Jello shots, and more Jello shots for Roscoe's over there, Oracos over there in Omaha, and the LSU Tigers have created an All SEC final. And yeah, for the second straight year. It, I mean, you look at they; these two teams have not played each other this year, which is is rare. But for an opportunity that you love, and the fact that you look at your last five champions for sure, because in 2020, no baseball due to COVID. Prior to that, you you have Vanderbilt, you have Ole Miss, you have Mississippi State. Now you're in a situation where you're looking at Florida and or LSU winning that College World Series National Championship. I don't know. I don't know if you could have a better play, though, than what you saw out of LSU's Trey Morgan when he rushes and makes that incredible flip to home plate. And as they're about to score, what a, what a play. It, it, it's You see the home run. But they say in any sport, defense wins championships. And I thought that that play was one definitely top 10 worthy for any of ESPN's views. But I think Trey Morgan making that play. You know, talk about an iconic defensive play. What a game, man. I, it was uh, to send your team to the College World Series Championship Series on a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 11th. It's like, man. But you're zero zero, and that's something. It's you know, it's one thing to see a low scoring game. It's Paul Skeens against Rhett Louderman, and the bullpens, the bullpens kill it too. And now, when you're getting ready to start Game One of your championship series on tomorrow, I'll tell you what. I the point I want to make about that. Someone, uh, I can't remember. I don't. I don't want to uh, miscredit them, but someone else made this point on Twitter, and I thought it was fantastic. Uh, why is this championship series starting tomorrow? It's like think about the NCAA tournament, for example. There's a full week off between uh, now. There's now the number one pitcher. I guess for Florida, it's not an issue because no, they've had not. some rest. I mean, that's that's what you're, you you win and you but take like, care of business. You want Paul Skeens to be able to go? It's like there should be there should be some time off here. I don't know. It, I think it's kind of lame the way the way they do that. And I get like you know it's Saturday. Like you want uh, you want to be able to get going right away, but you also would like the best pitchers on the on the two respective teams to be able to uh to go so i wish they'd do it that way well in that situation you are if you're lsu you look at what they had to fight off because you have to beat wake forest not once you have to beat them twice yeah and to be able we had to find a way our and the gulfs to go ahead and gut it out in the 11th inning yeah. And that's when you knew when you go beyond nine and extras, no matter how you looked at it, that's one of those games to where both teams literally left it all out on the line. And I didn't think that a home run would end the game, but to go out that way in that cool. kind of dramatic fashion, nah, you can't you can't <laughs> ask. I, I saw someone else say uh LSU basically 
beat Wake Forest in the best two out of three series with a side quest win against Tennessee in between. <laughs> well, that's what it was. I mean, you lose game one against Wake, so you go to an elimination game against Tennessee, and then you got to beat Wake twice. You know, they wanted two out of three against Wake with a side quest game against Tennessee in the middle of it. I, it's just crazy stuff. Well, I, I just know that imagine if you get that same type of drama. College World Series between two SEC foes who have not faced one another this season. And then when you look at the history going back to the 2017 College World Series, to know that you could have a game three. I mean, now you really... To me, I would love to see a game three because that's your equivalent of, of, of your game seven. And you're going to have the best of the best. A, a quick sweep. Okay, well, you're still – the SEC championship is is still coming to the conference no matter what how you look at it. But as far in the exact same way or in the same type of fashion to where whether it's in regulation, nine innings, or whether it's in extra, you see the same type of results. I think uh... – I think Florida's going to win this thing in two games. So you think they'll go ahead and and, and tuck LSU? I, I mean, there's I a do. lot of momentum it going is. for the Tigers. And, and, and it's a quick turnaround, but sometimes when you've been sitting and waiting for an opponent versus having that momentum and still being able to play behind it, I, I we, think that... We talk about that a lot, like the rest versus rust thing. I think there's value there, like in basketball, like with the Nuggets or, or what. I mean, not not really this year, but I think there's value in that. But with baseball, it's different. Like that rest actually makes a huge difference with your pitchers being rested and all that. Like, I, I think the rest is a huge advantage. Florida's phenomenal. I, I think Florida handles them in two games. So Florida goes ahead and wins this national championship. Shoot Tigers finding a way with momentum by their side to go ahead and extend this and, and win it on Monday night to go ahead and make a three-game series out of it. No sweep, no gator bait, no two-game gator bait. I don't need to see LSU win another national championship. Well, I mean, it's been that type of, of season so far for LSU. Yeah. You win the SEC West in football, you turn around – and you win a national championship in women's basketball, and now you have an opportunity to win a national championship in men's baseball. I'm ready to <laughs> ready to see them knock down a peg. I'd love to see two Florida blowouts. Hey, look, if, if that's the reason that you're pulling for the Florida Gators, then you may <laughs> – well, it's going to be great college baseball exactly like it was last night, historic fashion. And like I say, that split screen came in handy last night for sure. Doug Kunkel coming up next to keep us posted on all the action and the recruits coming hot and heavy to Kane Womack and the South Alabama Jaguars. The Jaguars picked up a couple of more here today. We'll talk to Doug Kunkel next here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Stuart Fink from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNFB Sports Radio in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for tuning in this Friday afternoon. And, of course, South Alabama, when you have the type of success that Kane Womack had in football one year ago, what it does, it kind of puts football on the map. And people are passionate and hungry about the Jaguar program. And, of course, official visits going 
on across the country. But our next guest, Doug High School Football is an analyst for 680 The Fan. Doug, want to thank you for joining us here on The Final Drive. Hey, guys. It is my pleasure, my honor to join you this afternoon. Well, Kane Womack's been real, real busy here as he's able to pick up a couple of verbal commits, one out of Mississippi and then a, another one, I think, out of Louisiana. And when you start looking at South Alabama being on the national map, of course, the I-10 corridor has always been key, but two additions here today, it helps the program tremendously. No bones the fact that he wants to have the area around Mobile along the I-10 corridor to be the prime yeah, recruiting territory for the important name, specifically Mobile. ATB is going to come in and play corner, and trust me, he can do it. I think he had 13 pass breakups this last season and three interceptions. And then Charles Gurley III is the cornerback out of Louisiana. And I'm telling you, great film on this guy. He's sticky. Uh, it is hard to get him off a receiver once he's on him. I'm really excited about Gurley. But those two guys, they came along after the first two, which are both Mobile guys, and that's offensive lineman Asher Hill out of St. Paul. And then Kevin Norwood is going to play for Theodore this coming year. He was with, uh, with Blunt this past season. And I'll tell you what, Norwood, to me right now, of the four commitments, he, he's the stud of the group. This is a guy that so South legitimately beat out a P5 uh, program for his services at the moment at least. Doug, of course, uh, you know, you want to recruit the area around very well, but Kane has done an unbelievable job, and you brought it up, recruiting the Mobile area as well. You know, a guy like Cole Blaylock from UMS, Anthony Eager from McGill coming in next year. I mean, just how much emphasis has Coach Womack placed on recruiting an area in Mobile that is just, like, rich with uh, with football talent? It absolutely is. It's not like... You know, he already too into the concept as as the third coach here in the football history. Both his just a few years will be a priority too. But the program is difficult, right? If you're a, if you're a high school player, when they grew up and they came up as players, there was no South Alabama for most of their coaching careers. There was no South Alabama, so you really got to get in there and you got to elbow aside in the in the mentality of the high school coach that Southern Miss and Troy and those kind of programs they're they're not the only show in town, and they may not be the best show in town anymore. Because of the Jaguars. And that's why that 10-win season, I think, was so important. But, but King Wilma came in, as you know, before last season, and he made a public announcement. He was going to recruit at least five guys a year. He's going to have five new Mobile guys a year on scholarship for the program. And I know for a fact a couple of, uh, of local high school coaches kind of rolled their eyes. But as of now, they're not rolling their eyes anymore. It, it really has. So when came to all the local coaches, exactly the emphasis he's putting on it and how he intends to bring the program with a skeleton but that's what it takes to win if you can get production it's one thing to just have those guys on the roster it's another thing when you look at the production of what you're getting from your mobile and baldwin county talents even from the pensacola area also i mean you're getting guys that are from around this area that are putting themselves, once they come and cultivate and grow roots, whether it's in the two-year pro transition from junior college or whether they're exactly. four years, they're having an opportunity to be on a roster on Sundays. Guys are signed. Exactly. Now they're getting drafted on a consistent basis. You know, and more guys are signing those portal where they don't get drafted. It's obviously Alabama. viable opportunity. And you know what? This is kind of going to have more guys that transfer portal works and the started out at a P5 program and ended up at South Alabama. 
And a lot of times they come in and they have very successful careers. James Jackson, who played center for the last couple years, great example after coming over from Mississippi State. Well, now when it's time for high school guys to start figuring out where they want to play, and yeah, a lot of them are still, it's P5 or bust, and they, you know, they'd, they'd rather go to, I don't want to pick on anybody out there, <laughs> you know, let's say they'd rather go to Vanderbilt to play football, and not because of academics, um, than, than go to any other school that's in the G5. Well, they're going to talk to these guys now and say, look, man, I've been there. I, I've played at South Carolina, and I've played at Alabama, or I've played at Auburn. And I'm telling you, coming here and in this environment with these facilities, with this coaching staff, and make an impact, which is what it's all about for us anyway. So I, I do think it actually, the portal ends up helping high school recruiting in that particular way. We're talking to Doug Conkle, JagsJungle.com, 24-7 affiliate for South Alabama. Doug, I want to ask you about Gio Lopez. Obviously, he's enrolled early. He's practicing with the team. What can Jags fans expect from this kid? Is, is this kid a future starter at quarterback? Uh, it, it's potential that he might be. You know, you, you never know, a quarterback in particular, right? He, he's a guy pretty good in spring practice. He's an early enrollee. Um, he's, he's important for the future. There's no doubt about that because you know, Carter Bradley and Desmond Trotter both leave. And that's your, your two guys who started a quarter games the last several years and or spring, or been the backup in another way. And so you need a quarterback. He's coming in from experience now, went through spring. I went the ball six feet tall, about 230 pounds, and he's red. He's thick, thick and a good football player. So, you know, we'll see if he's going to be the future. They also got a guy in the portal at the end of the spring, Bishop Davenport, who played and actually started some games as a few freshman, as a true freshman at Utah State. So now he's going to come in. He, he's going to be a redshirt freshman. He's basically going to be the same level of guy. They're going to be battling it out for, for a little bit of backup time this year and a chance to be a starter. And, you know, we just reference the portal. I, I doubt they go into next season without also trying to bring in an experienced quarterback to, to battle with those two. So but while Gio Lopez is, I think, the first guy up to, to be the successor. He is when you open up Phil Steele's preseason all-sunbelt selection team, you see South Alabama players left and right, all the way from the first team all the way to the fourth team. And that just goes to show every year you're starting to see more and more Jaguar faces in that all Sunbelt Conference nomination category. Yeah, it, it's a really good roster, guys. There's no doubt about it. it there's people out there who are kind of whistling past the graveyard right now and Stillwater, Oklahoma, in this game. It's going to be probably a, a team at least as good as theirs coming to play that game this fall. And I put it down as probably one of the most likely G5 over P5 upsets you're going to see this season. Uh, Oklahoma State had a ton of talent leave that program this year. South Alabama brought in a ton of talent to a very good roster. I, I think it's going to be a great game. And that opener against Tulane, man, that's going to be a really good game. They brought back some key pieces. They lost some key pieces. South Alabama, again, is going to be a program that's beaten them in the past. And there's going to be a lot riding in that game in terms of which program just might be getting the access full bid from the G5 by the end of the season. Doug, we spoke to uh, Darrell Luter on this show probably about a month or so ago. Just an impressive young man. I think he's going to have a lot of success in the NFL. Blocker, South Alabama, how do you go about replacing a guy like that, a guy that was so special, a guy you can count on to really lock down a whole side of the field? Well, you know, they've got to throw some bodies at it to begin. Impressive in workouts so far, I understand. And they brought in junior college transfer Reggie Neely. And that's a guy, speaking of Tulane, he started his career there before he went to junior college. And he's looked pretty good in the spring as well. And then here in the offseason, um, by the way, they also added Ladarius Craig, but I believe Craig is not going to make his grades 
So he's going to be stuck in junior college again. He was at South Carolina for a brief while. That's too bad. He's a talented kid and another Mobile guy, so you'd love to have had him. Um, but they got some other guys. They got Brian Dillard coming in from Independence Community College, who's a guy who was pretty highly recruited out of school. And I would not be surprised if they even had one or two more cornerbacks. And then the holdovers are, are Cuddy Robinson and uh, Ricky Fletcher, who as a freshman played quite a bit too. So I think by the time you add all that up, they're going to find a couple of good cornerbacks and some good depth, and they'll be able to do very well. And, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Jay Hobson does. That is an experienced coach. And a great defensive mind back there coaching the corners for South Alabama this year. So I think there's a lot to be said what he can do just developing what he's been given over. A program. And, of course, when you look across the board in South Alabama athletics, they do win the Vic Bubis Cup, which signifies having the best overall athletic program in the Sunbelt Conference. So, you know, that, that just goes to show you that it's not just football. It, it's across the board that South Alabama is having success. And Richie Riley found success in making it to the conference championship game and coming up a little bit short. But I know that he's kind of retooled that roster and he's ready to chomp at the bit as well. He is, you know the great thing about Richie Riley is he is always a step ahead of whatever the next trend is. When he came to South Alabama, he was deep into getting transfers. And he's the guy who really pioneered, let's go to Division Two and find some of the best players down there. And you know, some of those guys made a big impact last season for them. And now this season, he's, he's still doing some D2 um, transfer recruiting, but he's going back to the high school ranks a little bit more, I think, because now you've got some high value there that aren't getting opportunities because of so many transfer guys. He's doing a great job like that. Um, this coming year's team is going to be a lot different than last year's because you had Kevin Samuel, which was just a dominating presence in the post that you had to, had to give a lot of credence to. But now I think they're going with a smaller lineup by necessity, a lot more three-point shooting. They've got guys on the roster who are going to be able to make that happen for them. But again, as always, and I think with most programs now, it's all about how quickly can the players adapt to each other because there's so many new faces every time. Mac Sunbelt Challenge, and that's going to be the first time that we're going to have that in regards to South Alabama playing at Buffalo in men's basketball. And Buffalo, you start looking at that, named Buffalo. Well, there's some guy named Nate Oates who a few years ago made that program very prominent and now you look at his success. So you can't take someone like a program like Buffalo lightly for sure. No, they they went to the tournament after he was there too. This is a pretty good mid-major program. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I haven't done a lot of researching into Buffalo at this point in the season yet, but I, I think that's probably going to be a pretty nice matchup. And I love the whole Conference versus conference things. I mean, it's crazy that the Big Ten and the A says, you stopped doing theirs this year, as a matter of fact. But it's, it makes more sense, especially for is getting more and more difficult because the power teams don't want to become ever if they don't have to. So now you're looking at these schools, the, the Buffaloes and the South Alabamas, they have to play each other more. And having a structured format like this is, is just fantastic for the coaches to fill in a couple of games every season. Well, what's not becoming difficult is the fact that when you start looking at these local players, and you mentioned it, starting to put South Alabama in their top five locally from a three-star and four-star type opponent, that's great stuff for South Alabama and the future of the Jaguar programs. Now, the future of Jag Jungle is always bright, man. You can't keep you caged up with all your coverage. A, I'm tremendously inspired by those words, so I'm gonna we're gonna speak them into the universe. We're gonna make them come true, and you can always come and see how we're doing at that project at jagsjungle.com. I'm also on Twitter at Doug Conkle, 
if you want to come check me out there. Although I think I'm kind of a boring Twitter follower, to be honest with you, but I do put some news out, so. I'm just not so great with the memes and the gifts and the whatnot, so don't come expecting entertainment. No worries there. Hey, look, when we come to you, we know we're going to get the 411 on South Alabama's athletic programs. None better than Doug Conkle and JagsJungle.com. So thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday afternoon to join us here on The Final Drive, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks so much. Doug Conkle, Jag Jungle. Plenty of stories about the recruits who have taken official visits, who have South Alabama top five in any sport right there on his site. So make sure you give. Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with Michael Bronner, joining you this Friday afternoon. And of course, you know, with the NBA draft coming, we had the NFL draft a, a month and a half ago. And of course, you, you want to kind of see what kind of money top three picks wind up getting. Because again, Alabama produces number one, number two, and number three picks in the professional drafts, whether it be football and basketball, that's something that you, you don't see too often. One, two, and three, of course. Will Anderson Jr. goes ahead and signs today as the number three overall pick for the Texans. You're fully guaranteed four-year third represented by Nicole Lynn out of Clutch Sports. And Nicole is also Jalen Hurts agent so definitely a happy situation for will anderson jr getting the job done knowing that he there's no holdout there's no waiting over him getting paid and part of that is a 22 million dollar signing bonus michael brauner not too shabby there if not too bad no nah, not not at all and, and and i will say this you know you look at the difference in between what an NBA contract is and an NFL contract officially when these numbers come out, we'll go to comparing what what sport you really need your child to go ahead if you're trying to get them right to play a professional sport, what it needs to be. And one of the sports that I know you love to play is golf. Mm. And Where are you going with this? One of the favorite is Happy Gilmore uh, when he plays a little – a little golf there, Adam Sandler. He comes and you can remove the the golf tag from that. That's just one of my favorite movies. It, it, it is it is pretty funny in regards to now you have a high school senior who has committed to play golf at Ball State, and his last name is Gilmore. His first name is Landon, but he goes by Happy. And what a great way! It's kind of like we talked the other day. Kool-Aid McKinstry comes in to Alabama and you forget what Kool-Aid's real first name, his government name is. And Quincy. There you go. So you, you look at this young Happy Gilmore goes in and he plays in the state of Indiana. Been playing golf since he was six and had an opportunity to continue to play collegiate Sandler goes ahead and gives him his blessing as well. 
Uh, what a story, man. I, he's just something that, you know, name, image, and likeness. He's, he's got a fan for life in me. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty good stuff there. He was tied for seventh in the Indiana High School Boys State Golf Tournament this month. And Happy Gilmore back on the green grass hitting the golf balls. Four o'clock hour of the final drive coming up. We'll have David Basil to talk Razorbacks. What's going on with their football schedule along with the three draft participants they had last night in the NBA draft. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this fantastic Friday. and correspond with us there as well as you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And with the last couple of weeks realignments and going to divisionless football and with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. Of course, we wanted to talk a little woo pig suey with David Basil, who's with KATV Channel 7 in Arkansas. David, how are you doing, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. We just uh, just landed in, uh, just landed down here in Thibodeau, Louisiana, where it's the humidity is about 150, and it's raining, but it's all good. So, uh, but no, it's uh, it, it's uh, good to talk with you guys. Absolutely, and and last night was a, a great night for Coach Musselman and the Razorbacks. When you look at three overall players coming from the Razorbacks now into the NBA, Anthony Black, Nick Smith Jr., and Jocelyn Walsh, also in the second round, used to make it to pass the Sweet 16 and into the Elite Eight as well. Yeah, that's uh, when you can. And, and what's crazy is three freshmen. You're talking three freshmen there. So from a, it certainly shows what kind of recruiting prowess he has, and and helps when he goes into a home moving forward. That you know he can talk about. This is the second lottery pick. Moses Moody was a couple years ago, and so certainly easy to go into a mother's yeah, into a recruit's house rather than talk about Anthony Black going six overall and Nick Smith Jr. going 28 in the first round and. As you mentioned, Jordan Walsh was uh, impressive, too. So, yeah, he was – you don't see Coach Musselman in a, in a suit very often, so he knew it was important last night to be there. And we actually – our radio show, uh, our show in Little Rock, we've had an NIL uh, relationship with uh, Anthony Black this year. He, he calls us each week uh, during the season. Uh, really uh, just a great kid. Uh, that disposition, you know, great basketball IQ. So we've really gotten to know him very well. We're really happy for him. That's the highest – who went fifth. So that's a significant achievement again as an 18-year-old. David, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Nick Smith was the number one recruit in the country. Just how high do you think he could have gone had he not kind of struggled with injuries and, and other stuff this season? Well, his, his number three ranking that he had going in, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of people thought he'd be somewhere between three and five. That was, that was before the season started. That was really based on guys, I think, what a lot of the NBA scouts and a lot of the teams saw during the summer. 
last year when he was healthy. So I think that's what they thought they would see. And of course, it never, obviously, it never came to fruition. Is obviously that's what was sort of weird. The roles were reversed. Nobody was really talking that much about Anthony Black coming in. It was Nick Smith Jr. Ironically, they're both roommates. Uh, it was a frustrating deal, I'm sure, for Nick. Uh, I, I know, you know, I know he feels like he could have performed better, but we'll see. Listen, I think the Hornets got a heck of a deal. Uh, with their two, you know, signings in the first round, but I think uh, I think Nick is going to be a lot better than what you saw this year in Arkansas. I want to ask you about this. I think rivalry has become the right word between Nate Oates and, and Eric Musselman. Obviously, success winning the SEC and winning the SEC tournament, and these two guys they do not like each other. I mean, just where do you see this rivalry between Arkansas and Alabama now? Where do you see it going? Well, you know, those <laughs> in Arkansas. So, does Alabama really have to be good in basketball? Really? Can we just can we just focus maybe on on, on the football? But now you know you, you've got this program that's obviously doing great things. And I tell you, I, you know, we know Eric Musselman pretty well. He's a competitor. He don't like to get beat. Uh, and so uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Like, Rivalry is overplayed, but I do think when you got two young guys like that are successful, very good recruiters, high energy, very intense. It makes for great theater, you know. And so. Uh, uh, again, you know, you saw this coming. We certainly didn't in that, you know, with Alabama a few years ago. But you know what? Remember, guys, Arkansas was in the Dubs basketball. We've been in Never Never Land for about twenty something years after Nolan left, and so it's nice just to be talking about Sweet Sixteen. I think it's been twenty years since we've got to a Sweet Sixteen, so it's nice to go three years in a row to have two final eights. But yeah, they, they uh, I don't know if it's a rivalry or not between those two guys, but it's fun to watch them coach against each other. Well, I, I will transition from the success that Coach Musselman's having in basketball. Of course, Arkansas football, I know it's near and dear to your heart. And, of course, Coach Pittman getting the job done, having Texas and Fayetteville going to Auburn and having Texas A&M at Arlington, in Arlington, Texas. I, I think that the expectations that Coach Pittman has – has put the Razorbacks right there where they want to be with the big dogs and divisionless football in the SEC. Well, Corey, you got to remember again, much like basketball, man, we were we were in a bad spot. It was it was it was bad. I, I was a player back in the uh, early '80s for Lou Holtz and Ken Hatfield, and so it's been tough for me as a former team captain to see us sink to the depths that, that we that we 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 got to there those last couple of years under Chad Morris. But, but Sam Pittman has brought back respect. Uh, this is a tough league to win in. You know, get that nine-win mark two seasons ago. Uh, and so uh, I think the main thing with Sam Pittman is uh, he's got us back on the right track from a recruiting standpoint as well. Bottom, the bottom line, in this, in this conference, you better be able to recruit. And he knows it. He did a great job at, uh, at Georgia. Uh, and so, but I'll tell you guys, it's still, it's still tough to win. As you, you mentioned, you look at that schedule. It just there's just not a lot of uh, easy easy weeks, and which this was probably the best schedule Arkansas had because Alabama wasn't on it for the first <laughs> time in I think 15 years. So we're speaking to David Basil covers Arkansas, David. So what's next from a football standpoint? Because if you look at the quarterbacks returning to the SEC, obviously I think Joe Milton's going to be good, but I mean, the two best quarterbacks returning to the SEC are probably Will Rogers and K.J. Jefferson. So I, what do you think Arkansas is capable of in 2023? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I think he's earned the right to be considered one of the best. Uh, you know, I think it's just stay healthy. And he's a big kid. You know, he's 6'2", 6'3", actually 6'3", probably about 240, 250. And I think the difference, guys, for us this year 
is that, you know, we the team pretty much went as K.J. Jefferson went. And the bottom line, if he went down, we, we struggled. And so, but now you've got Jacoby Criswell backing him up. And this is, I don't know if you guys know much about this kid. He was a highly recruited young man that Arkansas did not get. He went to North Carolina, uh, ended up transferring back to Arkansas uh, last year. He looks like K.J., big kid, strong kid, got a gun of an arm. And at least if K.J. goes down, I, I think the team feels like the chance with Jacoby. So that's one to run. If he runs, the defenses are challenged uh, because he's hard to bring down. He's, he's faster, he's quicker than he, than he looks. And he's got a strong arm. He's very accurate. And, then, of course, the key for Arkansas is, can he find any receivers? That was something they struggled with last year. Um, but if you can get a few, a few receivers to step up, puts major pressure trying to stop not only KJ, but you got Rocket Sanders, who you know was one of the best running backs in the country. Not a lot of people talked about that, but you, know, you look at his numbers, very productive. Now they got they got to replace two, three offensive linemen that they lost last year. Uh, Ricky Stromberg being the most prominent. Look ahead too much, but looking ahead to 2024, I would argue that Arkansas probably got one of the more favorable schedules. I mean, no Alabama, no Georgia on it. You get Texas at home. I mean, could Arkansas make a little bit of noise in 2024? Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's so funny. I, I, I immediately transitioned while I was talking to you guys to 24 and talking about the Alabama thing. It's so nice not to have a, a season where we have to play Alabama for a change. But, yeah, that's, that's obviously the schedule I was talking about was 2024. That, that, that you, you don't have Alabama on there, and I just think for the most part, a lot of Razorback fans look around and go, are you kidding me? Because you guys know what we've had for the last you know, five years. We're usually number one, two, or three most difficult you know, schedules in the country. I think for the first time, Razorback fans look around at 2024, it's like, hey, you know, it, it's, not, it's still tough. And, of course, I don't know if you guys know, but back in my day, we would play Texas every year. So we thought we were, we were through with those stinking Texas Longhorns. Bad enough, we had to add the Aggies to the SEC. You know, it's just tough to win. It's just, it's just week to week, it's going to be tough. But I do think that the Razorback fans, and I think the expectation for 2024 was encouraging that it wasn't quite as tough uh, as it normally has been. And they were able to keep LSU. You know, obviously we've had a good, you know, a good series with them over the years. Same thing with Missouri. You know, that was sort of a forced rivalry by the league. Uh, but I think everybody's is, is somewhat pleased with the schedule they saw in 2024. Well, going to this year's last division, East and West, in the SEC, you know, I always love watching the battle for the boot when you guys take on the LSU Tigers. And I know that that's a huge trophy. And when you see the mat ramifications of that game that used to play kind of later in you guys, that game being in Tuscaloosa, your last opportunity to take that swing at Auburn too, as far as from a division standpoint. But what, what kind of momentum do you think you guys could have if there was that game that you on the schedule that you really, really want? Is it that Alabama game and ending that losing streak to Alabama prior to going into divisionless football? Well, I think obviously, you know, just because you know we have not beat Alabama in so long, it's just it's been it's just been a really frustrating. Because you know they beat everybody that way, or not everybody, but most most teams. And so I think that would have to be the one. You know, our fan base really loves beating LSU. You know, that's not been easy to do, you know, uh, over the years. And so I, I think I think the, uh, the LSU, they just enjoyed that. Like you said, going back to those, those Fridays after Thanksgiving, you know, Darren McFadden. And just, anyway, just a lot of great years there. Um, but, yeah, there's no question. That Alabama uh, winning streak stings well. And if, if you remember, guys, you know, last year, I mean, I think with A&M, it's, it's eight, eight years in a row or something like that. It's, 
you know, we've got a few of those. I think Missouri had beat Missouri in, in, in Columbia uh, in a lot of years. So Sam Pittman still has a lot of work to do, guys. I mean, this program is not where it needs to be. Um, but it's in the right direction. This, this week, as a matter of fact, a huge recruiting weekend for Arkansas with 16 recruits on, on campus. And that our recruiting expert today tells us that's the most he can ever remember in the last 10, 15 years uh, in one weekend. So that's where it changes for a program is recruiting. You guys know that. But, um, yeah, I think he's got to go in the right direction. And uh, Bama would be number one on that list, as you mentioned. But LSU is right behind. Razorbacks football team and having an opportunity to play in games like the Liberty Bowl. I know when people go to your, your Twitter page, you'll see right there, 1984 <laughs> Liberty Bowl, there's two pretty famous names. Bo Jackson being Auburn's most valuable player and also David Basil being named right there. So you definitely bleed that hog red when you're cut there. So I just – I know what rivalries mean to Arkansas, and I know in my time watching the basketball program, one of the things that I used to love is Nolan Richardson did bring his teams down here. Mayberry, those type of guys used to come down here to Mobile and play at the Civic Center and used to give Arkansas all they could handle in that 40 minutes of hell. But I know that you're a diehard – Arkansas fan across the board as so many others are that have followed not only in your footsteps but in Arkansas's footsteps and I know you're waiting for that page to turn and Sam Pittman seems like he can be that guy and he's probably if I had to, at SEC media days next month a, a guy that I would most likely see at the bar with the beer and want to get to that beer at this press conference, that would be Coach Pittman. And that's how laid back he is. But he takes his winning ways from Georgia, brings them to the Hogs, improvement is going to be there. And I know the calling of the Hogs, there's nothing like it on a Saturday or any other winning day for the Arkansas Razorback yeah. program. Well, Corey, you're right. I, I think uh, he, he's really a, he's a, a fun guy to be around. He is laid back. He's got him a, you know, a lake house over in Hotswell. And, um, so, yeah, I think he, people like him in Arkansas. They feel like he's one of them, and, uh, and so that makes a good fit. But you you got to win, and he knows that. If you don't win, they don't, they don't care how much they like you. If you don't win, they're going to run you out of there. But if he can just continue to make progress, I think the state's going to continue to support him in a big way. And, yeah, listen, I'm going to milk my, my game against Bo Jackson to the day they put me in the grave. <laughs> so all my buddies all my buddies up in Little Rock in Arkansas, they're used to it. They're used to it. I can tell you Tackles, unassisted, assisted, play with a broke hand. But, hey, the, but the, the bottom line, they beat us. That's the, that's the worst part. They beat us. That's the bottom line. No question about that That you're Arkansas through and through. And how can people just follow all your tremendous coverage, your updates of everything that is Arkansas, and that is Woo Pig Suey? Well, I appreciate that. He met David Basil, all one word, D-A-V-I-D-B-A-Z-Z-E-L. Our morning show is called uh, Morning Mayhem on 137 The Buzz. And uh, I appreciate you guys. Media days. And, again, if we ever run into Bo, we'll let them know that, hey, <laughs> Bo Jackson is Bo Jackson. But also, on the flip side of that, David Basil as well there in that 84 Liberty Bowl. Thank you so much for your time, David. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. David Basil, a great guest here for all the – Razorback information again, that losing streak. He said it. Look, it means more than beating LSU to have an opportunity here in the last year of division football in the SEC for Arkansas to try to beat Bama. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. This is Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl. You're listening to WNSP. 
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Friday afternoon. Of course, you can always get in touch with us in the app and correspond with us. So you can give us a call, 251-694-1055. And, of course, last night with the NBA draft going on, it, it kind of makes you wonder with so many players having the opportunity to either go overseas and get drafted strictly coming from overseas or go to the G League without 25 years. Who are the best men's collegiate basketball players over the last 25 years? And, you know, Bronner, I, I know that when you look at what Brandon Miller was able to accomplish, I mean, SEC Player of the Year, uh, most outstanding player, the the accolades just go on and on and on for him. But as far as within the last 25 years, who, who would you say is on your list for the greatest college basketball players within the last 25 years? I would say Anthony Davis is probably at the top of that list. Uh, that 2012 Kentucky team is uh, probably – at or near the top of the list for best teams in the last 25 years as well. Best, uh, of course, led by Davis. Uh, but last 25 years, yeah, I I'll go Anthony Davis there. All right, so when you look at Steph Curry coming through Davidson and what he was able to do, he was a phenomenal collegiate basketball player. I mean, Ke Kevin Durant wasn't too shabby either. I, I think that Carmelo Anthony winning that national championship at Syracuse was fun to watch. Sure. Dwayne Wade was fun to oh, watch. Yeah. Uh, Zion Williamson, in his time at Duke within the last 25 years, he Jim Jimmer Fredette. I don't know if you remember Fredette. Oh, man, I was a huge Jimmer Fredette guy. Fredette could flat fill it out. I mean, I had a I had a shirt when I was younger that said, uh, you just got Jimmered. Yes, I mean... The, the, the Jimmer mania definitely took over from the time he was at BYU from 27 to 2011. And, he, I mean, the, the, his ability to shoot the ball and be able to score was unreal. Adam Morrison was another one for Gonzaga that you, you just – he had that mustache that kind of made you say, all right, well, you know what, he, he could flat out ball. Another – one that I really loved to watch was UConn guard Kimball Walker. Kimball Walker was was fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, Blake Griffin from Oklahoma. Kemba's right up there, man. I loved Kemba. And, and when you see some of these names that are called within the last 25 years, some of the, the, the best collegiate players of all time. Because what what's funny here is sometimes because you were a successful <laughs> collegiate basketball player, it doesn't really go ahead and equate to being a winner in the NBA and being successful in the NBA. I, I think one of the best college basketball players of all time is, is Pistol Pete Maravich. I think that Pistol Pete was, was super-duper special. Christian Laettner was another collegiate basketball player, one of the all-time greats. When you look at his perfect stat line against Kentucky and him having an opportunity, Grant Hill was one of those special players also 
that was fun to watch. I think that Duke has had its fair share, and I know Michael Jordan had his, you know, his one shot moment there hitting the national before he passed away that was so fun to watch, and you would have loved to see him and Bo Kimball both play in the NBA for a very long time, and, and you hate that Hank Gathers passed away, but he was one of the best players I've ever seen play as well, and I don't know, you know, Jason Williams, anytime you're an overall number one pick, you, you, you see him on the daily on ESPN, you know that he's a great player. There's so many that you could have an opportunity to choose from. And and one of those, again, in back in 87, Danny Manning was a phenomenal player at Kansas. Had fun watching him play. Bill Walton was another one, along with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So, so many great collegiate players and you love to see the transition was we're able to go ahead and have long professional career. But what what did what did you hear from Hansborough in the NBA? I mean, yeah. he's one of those guys that you you just didn't see a lot of. And and with the unicorn Wimbenyama coming in to the NBA, you look at someone like Ralph Sampson playing at Virginia and being seven foot four and having the length and trying to find a way to stop his dominance. Just pretty much impossible to try to do. So I just know that when you go and look at the all-time greats in collegiate basketball, there there are so many that you can have an opportunity to choose from. Lynn Bias was one of those. Have you heard about Lynn Bias' story, Bronner? Yeah, didn't uh, didn't he pass away on did, on the night did. of the draft? It, it, it was so sad. I mean, it was an opportunity to where drugs got in the in the way of what could have possibly been greatness at Maryland, but you never had an opportunity to see it anywhere else. Danny Ferry was another Duke basketball player that was fun to watch. Chris Weber and the entire Fab Five when they were at Michigan. I know that they were a team, but you look at. Jawan Howard and his success that he's had, and you hate to see what has happened. You see, C. Webb's made a wonderful career out of broadcasting basketball, and of course, Jalen Rose. You see him pretty much at every NBA Finals or all season long covering the NBA. So, so many great collegiate players. You just want to see that game go ahead and transform over to the NBA for these future picks look coming in now you, you want them to have the opportunities to look at NBA bust as well so far to me w- would you say Zion Williamson has been a bust hmm the b word i don't know like like yeah i mean i, I guess as of as of this season i think Zion Williamson I, I'm not going to say a bust. I just don't think he's lived up to to his hype and his yeah, capability. Based on expectations, I, I think you have to throw that label on him for now. Well, I, I know this too. You know, to go along with those LSU greats, whether it's Pistol Pete Maravich, you can go right along with Shaquille O'Neal and his dominance, along with Chris Jackson at LSU. Now, fun to watch. So there's so many that he do see that have been able, as many that aren't successful translating, I think that there are so many more that are successful in 
their careers in the NBA and are not bust and do find a way to play five or six years minimum in the NBA and and be for sure make their household names translate from college over to the NBA. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Again, you can continue to correspond with us in the app. Would love to hear who you feel is the greatest collegiate basketball player of all time. So many greats to choose from that we've thrown out there this afternoon. And with the NBA draft just passing us up, no one has seen anything like it. Can he live up to the hype? We'll find out in years to come for this young man. The final drive will be right back here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is ESPN founder Bill Rasmussen, and you're listening to WNSP Mobile. One of the channels. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. Want to Thank everyone for having us locked in on your dial. And, of course, you can always correspond with us in the app or you can give us a call, 251-694-1055. And Trent Massey from Future Ones joins us this afternoon. Of course, we have next much going the AHSAA North-South Games to where Future Ones brings all the game day apparel to all the athletes across the entire state of Alabama. I know you guys are are locked and loaded and, and getting ready for that huge event that's taking place next month. Yes, sir. How are y'all doing today, Corey? Man, absolutely too blessed to be stressed. And, Trent, I, I like I said, I know this is just a, a busy time for you guys, man. And it's a great time for future ones, but it's also a great time for all those coaches out there that are getting ready for fall sports to go ahead and get at the curb, get into you guys' catalog, and go ahead and place those orders early. Yes, sir. You know we uh, we are definitely in our busy season. Um, had uh, had some coaches in the office today from middle schools around Mobile. Uh, really, you know, really excited about um, being able to re- saw us, heard about us, but uh, you know, just kind of I think they just kind of sat back to see if we were going to stick around, and so. We're still here, and we're going strong, and all these coaches around here are starting to stop by the office, put in some orders, come to see us, and uh, it's, it's, been, it's been an exciting time, and we are very busy and look forward to getting even busier after we go next, next month to the uh, summer games and the summer conference. Yeah, that's a huge event, not only for the state of Alabama, but for all the all-star games and the apparel that all the players love the one when you put that Future Ones brand on, you guys have been commended so many times about the touch that you guys put on have sublimated uniforms or with that as well for the coaches across the state who want to go ahead and truly be from head to toe matching in their team apparel. Yeah, a lot, a lot of coaches are finding out about our shoes, and I've been talking to schools in Mississippi and different areas all about that. So, um, you know, one thing that we have been able to do 
for the high school association and those all-star kids is, you know, back in the day whenever Russell was uh, the provider, um, they just kind of provided T-shirts and, you know, a plain color shirt with numbers on it and, you know, different things, which not knocking that, that's just kind of what, what they had in such SAA. We've really been coming to help, uh, you know, up the game for those kids. I mean, they're all-stars, so the the uniforms that they get every summer now are next level and uh, looks like an all-star uniform. And we've been really blessed to be able to just give those kids something to be proud of and be a part of that. So that's been a great move for us and look forward to doing that for many more years. Well, I know next month you mentioned the North-South All-Star Game for the players and the coaches here in the state of Alabama. Of course, the coaches' clinics that goes on next month is SEC Media Days. And with Future Ones being the official apparel provider of WNSP, we look forward to going up there and representing Future Ones in our great sublimated custom gear that Future Ones has made for us here at WNSP. But it's not just what you guys appreciate. Whether it's a church association, whether it's a church league, anything that needs to be branded with your logos, you guys can go ahead and provide sublimation or screen printing. You guys do it all. That's right, Corey. I appreciate you bringing that up. You know, we have a new process here at our place that um, very quick turnaround. Um, you know, screen printing is still a thing, but we have a a newer process that a lot of your screen printers around town are actually, uh, so we we got some really good technology, really quick turnarounds, embroidery, screen print, um, and again, like you said, some spot supplementation right here are fully custom uniforms for for, uh, businesses as well. Great job of just reaching out to, to multiple ways of making sure that your brand is associated and well represented and none better than future ones to go ahead and get that done, whether it's T-shirts, polos, socks, shoes, whether it's game day equipment, future ones can go out there and get all your equipment as well. And, of course, Trent, how can people get in touch with future ones? You know, the best way probably is a quick email to sales at futureones.com. You can always call us at 877-583-0747. And uh, you can always go on the web, futureones.com, look at some of our apparel and different things like that. We're on Facebook. Trent, again, you can get in touch with Future Ones, 877-583-0747. Or you can go to sales at Future Ones. That's the number one with the S.com and get in touch with the fine folks at Future Ones. Trent, look forward to talking to you again next week. And congratulations on having a new son-in-law as well. I know that's a huge accomplishment for you as on Father's Day weekend, nonetheless. Man, it was great. It was a beautiful wedding. Uh, you know, somebody somebody told me I'm not losing a daughter. I'm gaining a son. And so what a great, uh, what a great experience. Um, So all you dads out there that have had daughters get married, um, I need extra business now because I had to pay for that wedding. So uh, (laughs) send send all your stuff my way. And, Corey, I appreciate you guys. Y'all have a great weekend. You do the same. Trey Massey joining us this afternoon from Future Ones. And, of course, you know, resetting the World Series last. What a great nickname. Tommy Tanks White 
with the historic home run. And I, I think that home run will definitely be remembered and go down as one of the biggest plays in the history of LSU College World Series baseball for certain. Yeah, I was, I was on a phone call with, uh, with my buddy, uh, and I said, like, wow, if you're a – Diehard Wake baseball fan. That was about the worst moment of your sports watching career. And if you're a diehard LSU fan, that's about the best moment of your sports watching career right there. It's, man. To end that way. I mean, for you to have an opportunity to go ahead and punch the ticket, not the only thing that I think could be greater. And for LSU baseball is looking for him to win the College World Series. Posit that way. And I know they had to vacate. 37 wins because of Les Miles. And because of that now, Les Miles could possibly be ineligible for the College Football Hall of Fame. And, of course, LSU being put on probation for three years. And then LSU basketball gets the whammy, too, with their former head men's basketball coach, Will Wade, getting popped with that 10-game suspension, being the head coach at McNeese State. So that's a pretty tough situation for LSU. And you, with all that negativity, you would want something positive to happen. It just so happens the baseball program is able to do that. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Okay, so it has happened. And ironically, it happened to LSU. I hate baseball. It's the slowest, most boring sport not named golf on the planet. But in 1996... Five SEC teams made Omaha. One of those was LSU. And the NCAA, in their infinite wisdom, put four SEC teams in the bottom half of the bracket and one on the top to try to stack the deck for Miami. So the bottom half beat each other up. But fortunately, LSU made it to the final game against Miami. And the situation you're talking about played out. And said, every kid who's ever played baseball sat in his backyard with a wiffle ball bat wiffle ball and said, hey, it's the World Series. It's the bottom of the ninth. We're two down. Two outs. Another down by three. Bases loaded. Boom. Grand slam. Well, that's what this kid, he hit LSU. Bottom of the ninth. Challenge. Two strikes. Bases loaded. He's by three. He hits the ball for exact play that you were talking about. So, just wanted to let everybody know that. War Eagle. Appreciate the call, Anti. Well, I, I think that, you know, when you put yourself in moments like that, and to be in a moment like that and to stand and deliver, there's always two sides to that because LSU definitely is going to be remembered for that team that went ahead and found a way to go ahead and hit the game-winning home run with Tommy Tank White, right? But what about the Wake Forest? That, that's absolutely got to be disheartening to know that your pitch – is the one that went over the wall, and you know, you'll give up a double or a triple, but to give up in the 11th inning there to have a walk off, that's just something I know that he won't forget ever. And neither will Wake Forest fans. And I don't think, I, I, I would say this LSU fans show class, tremendous class as showing up at lives. There must have been 30 to 40 LSU fans in the lobby there in the hotel that was high-fiving the entire Wake Forest team and then show, you know, letting them know that that was one well of a season and one well of a game that we all were able to witness last night. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5.
We'll be right back. Corey Levani, along with Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon on a Friday edition of The Final Drive. Big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And looking at the NBA draft last night as a whole, don't know if there were winners and losers, but I know that as a fan of the Orlando Magic, I think the Orlando Magic got it right and look forward to hopefully seeing them in the playoffs. And I know, Michael, we do have a, a caller on the line this so we'll we'll uh we'll get into that a little bit later. But go ahead, Chuck. Hey, let me let me throw this out there. I got a couple things for you. You started off the show, Corey, with uh, siblings that were real good at their sports or in sports. Uh, I got a couple for you. Okay. All right. Uh, the two brothers that I would go with, not the Mannings, but uh. The Matthews, mm. Clay Matthews Jr. and Bruce Matthews, mm. and uh, maybe a little bit before you and Bonner's time, but uh, both Clay played 278 games, Bruce played 293. That's third all time. The only two players in the NFL who played more than Bruce are Brett Favre and Tom Brady. And he never missed a game in 19 seasons due to injury. He played every single position along the offensive line, was all pro 14 of those 19 seasons. He also served as the long snapper for punts, extra points, and place kicks. Uh, I mean, he just was dependable, reliable, did it all, spent all 19 seasons with the Houston slash Tennessee Titans franchise. Clay, just a little bit about him. He had over 1,500 tackles in his Jesse Tuggle and Ray Lewis. <laughs> so that's pretty stout. Now, I also went with a, a brother and sister combination. Uh, David Myers, All-American at UCLA at basketball. Uh, later played for the Milwaukee Bucks impressive career but his sister Ann Myers was probably more impressive she's the first female to get a four year scholarship to UCLA was a four time all American the only one UCLA's ever had she's also if you're into trivia the first female to ever sign an NBA contract yeah, she, was she signed a contract with the Indiana Pacers in 1979 She's not the first one to be drafted, but the first one to sign a contract. And she later went on, you may remember this, Corey or not, she she married Don Drysdale, yeah. Hall of Fame pitcher for the LA Dodgers. So anyway, I'll throw those two out there. And then I would also just say, uh, to your point earlier, I'm wondering if Sonogo and Oscar Shibway and a couple of those, I think they're what I would call tweeners. They're not really a true center, so I think they'd have matchup issues there, and they're not really power forwards because they played so much in and around the basket. But if you remember, 
Here's a pretty wild statistic most people wouldn't know. When Kentucky played Alabama earlier this year, and Alabama beat them, Egypt career, the first game, that he wasn't a leading rebounder in the game. Yeah, that those are, are, are facts that are undeniable and unbelievable. Coming to a hard break here at the top of the hour. Always appreciate you okay. for tuning in. It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The, the final, final drive. drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number three of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Friday afternoon. NSP app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. And OTAs have been going on in the NFL. And as everyone gets ready for the end of July and camp going for all the NFL teams, Ross Jackson host of Locked On Saints and covers the Saints as a football analyst as well, joins us this afternoon on the final drive. Ross, how's it going, my friend? Hey, guys, doing great, doing great. Thanks so much, as always, for having me on. Hope you're doing well. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Blessed by the best. And, of course, Ross, the Saints in OTAs. Some of the biggest questions going in is Derek Carr. And and one of the shocking statements that – Derek Carr admitted to was the fact that he didn't give it every same type of sentiment going in and does that create a little conflict with Saints players in their mind saying do we have a quarterback that when things go wrong aren't going to give it his best with the Saints franchise as well no I highly doubt it okay. I, I highly doubt that that will be something that any player will read into for more than it is that's a team the Las Vegas Raiders that just flat out gave up on Derek Carr far before Derek Carr ever had the opportunity to give up on the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. It's clearly not the situation here in New Orleans. The Saints have been very, very clear with him, whether it be general manager Mickey Loomis, head coach Dennis Allen, wide receiver Michael Thomas, uh, his friend with over the course of his time when he was either being courted to join the New Orleans Saints or since he's been with the New Orleans Saints. Um, that they wanted him here in New Orleans and that there's no, um, you know, the, the situation that he was in in uh, Las Vegas is vastly different than the situation that he's in here in New Orleans. And I think that he'll, he'll, he has shown his appreciation for that. And I don't think that there's going to be any players that are going to read too far into uh, any comments about the Las Vegas Raiders and apply that to the New Orleans Saints situation. Well, one of the things that Derek Carr and one of the big-time instrumental people in his life was John Gruden. And Coach Gruden was spotted coming out to the Saints OTAs, helping the Saints out a little bit. And I know that that gives a little extra boost of confidence, not only to Derek Carr, but also to the head football coach, Dennis Allen, also. Yeah, this is something that the Saints have done um, a couple different times in the past. They've had you know, Tom Laughlin come out during training camps, Mike Martin. How can that impact the way that the Saints utilize Alvin Kamara, for instance? And so this is just... You know, another example of the Saints not uh, not pulling any punches when it comes to the opportunity to gather further ideas and try to build this offense. And, of course, Derek Carr saw his most successful years 
under John Gruden uh, with the Las Vegas Raiders, and so it's a great opportunity for them to look at two systems that are pretty similar, John Gruden system as well as Sean Payton system. Payton and, and Gruden overlapped, and um, I believe it was in Philadelphia together, uh, where Gruden was the offensive coordinator and Payton was the quarterback's coach, and so you a know, real opportunity there for them to blend a little bit of you know, what worked for Derek Cooper in Vegas with what's inherently kind of familiar with already here in New Orleans and find some ways to continue to bolster that comes with its own set of con in Las Vegas, which shouldn't go without being, you know, uh, acknowledged. But uh, I do think that the Saints are looking at, you know, everything that they can to make sure that their quarterback is comfortable uh, here in this New Orleans Saints system. And that was a, 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 another way for them to, to assure that. We're speaking to Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints. Ross, I believe last time we spoke, it was kind of pre-OTAs or OTAs were just getting underway. Now that we're kind of through them, and I guess the reports uh, from the rest of the division, I, Bryce Young has ascended to the top of the depth chart in Carolina. Things seem to be going okay in Atlanta, at least. You know, Drake London seems to be looking good. Desmond Ritter seems to be looking okay. It's obviously a complete and utter mess in Tampa Bay, but we kind of already knew that. How do you feel right now as we sit here on June 23rd about the Saints' chances to win this? The fact that's coming in that in terms of the intended starters uh, across the rest of the, the division and you know, um, in Bryce Young and Desmond Ritter and then whoever is going to be the starter over in Tampa, whatever happens there. Uh, Derek Carr alone has more years of experience combined than all three of those quarterbacks. Now, if you fold Andy Dalton in there, obviously things get a little bit different, but, you know, we saw who Andy Dalton is now, um, you know, thanks to last year's uh, kind of cup of coffee that he had here in New Orleans, and now he'll just look at, you know, with a rival team for at some capacity with the Carolina Panthers. And so I love the Saints. Right now, just looking at the quarterbacks that you want, pin and sort of the continuity that they've been able to bring the year over to years, or the improvements that they've made. Now, well, they should be seen as a team on paper at this point, you know, moon as the team that's the favorites to be CNFC South. Now, will they be able to pull it off? Absolutely, uh, right to be considered the favorites within the division at this time. Taysom Hill getting ready to enter. I think his seventh year already with the Saints franchise. He's one of those guys that I have really never seen a positionless player. For this long in the NFL, you normally catch mm -hmm. on at quarterback or at tight end or you switch sides to wide receiver or linebacker or some some role that you're officially labeled as. It's a good thing, though, for the Saints that Taysom Hill still has all that versatility. But what can we look for him as far as offensively this season with the new quarterback? Yeah, I think between 7 to 12, let's say, uh, you know, quarterback snaps in each game, depending upon the matchup, depending upon how heavy your run game is in that game, depending upon your down and distance situations and things like that. I think the big thing for the Saints is how do you expand him a little bit in the passing game? He had only nine catches last season um, as they moved him over to the quote-unquote tight end designation. But as you've mentioned, they still moved him around all over the place. So I do think that being able to utilize him as a bit of a pass catcher a little bit more will help. He kind of acknowledged that when he spoke with New Orleans media during minicamp. So that would be slime. You know, the team would be looking at seeing how he can expand uh, but outside of that, I also think for the New Orleans Saints, a, a lot of the responses that we got last year when we asked about, you know, why not more Taysom Hill and things like that, especially seeing how effective he was over the course of the season. You look at games like Cincinnati, like Cleveland, like uh, like Las Vegas when they played against the Raiders. Of course, that Seattle Seahawks game where he had three touchdowns, a fumble recovery on a, on a fake punt, as well as threw a touchdown as well to Adam Feltman. Uh, you know, you can see how impactful he can be, and and oftentimes it was about game situation. And so when they get down on the scoreboard, they have to pass a little bit more. And so finding those sort of packages for 
Uh, Taysom Hill as a runner from under center is a little bit tougher, which makes perfect sense. But now if you can get him involved a little bit more in the passing game uh, as a receiver, find more opportunities for him uh, in those in those situations where that the game situation isn't in your favor, that will be advantageous for the New Orleans Saints. In the ten, seven games that they that he that he played last year, where you saw ten or more quarterback snaps, they went five and two. And one of those games was a very during how poor Sam Darnold played uh, for the Carolina Panthers on the opposite side of the ball there. And so I think that you know finding ways to get him a little bit more involved in the passing game as a receiver is a part of what they're going to be looking to do. Finding ways to get him more involved, regardless of the game situation, is important. But not taking away those quarterback snaps is going to be important for his ability to be effective as well. Ross, last time we spoke, you told me that you believe Pete Carmichael is more on the hot seat than Dennis Allen. You know, I thought about that a lot since. I thought it was a profound, interesting point. Sean Payton, could it, when he decided he was going to return to coaching, could have returned to coach the Saints rather than somewhere else, or was it the situ- a type of situation where he was never going to take the job from Dennis Allen? But you know, what if they actually parted ways with Dennis Allen after? Like, was there ever any world where Sean Payton could have returned as the Saints coach? Yeah, I think if the Saints would have departed from Dennis Allen, like if last year would have been, you know, a, a, a three and what would it be now, three and fourteen type of a year or something like that, and the Saints would have made the decision potentially then to depart from Dennis Allen, then the door with Allen and say, okay, I want to come back, get rid of that guy, and then I'll come in and be the head coach. And I know a lot of folks also kind of had this idea, well, have Sean Payton come back and then just move Dennis Allen back to defensive coordinator. There's no chance that Dennis Allen would have taken that opportunity or would have done that. Um, it would have destroyed his you know, remaining coaching career ahead of him to take a demotion like that. And it would have made it really, really tough for the New Orleans Saints to find another head coach after Sean Payton if they would have treated Dennis Allen that way. So, look, first-year coaches usually don't get fired, especially first-year head coaches that don't get their quarterback. And Dennis Allen was a first-year head coach that didn't get his quarterback last year. Remember, Jameis Winston was not the first choice. Deshaun Watson was. Uh, and so now this year you're walking into a year where you have Dennis Allen with his quarterback, the guy that he wants to work with, and Derek Carr continuing to build his defense. And so things are going a little bit more his way. His coaching staff has built out all in those things. So you had to at least give him that opportunity first. So unless the Saints weren't going to go that route, and we're going to uh, the way that Sean Payton was going to return as a Saints head coach. Ross, some of the excitement that goes into New Orleans, of course, with the Saints playing there at the Superdome, and I'm so used to whether it's the Mercedes-Benz or now the Caesars. I have to catch myself sometimes. But, you know, after Hurricane Katrina, you knew that there were going to be major renovations that were going to have to be done to the Dome. And now with this new renovation process, a lot of people aren't even aware that there are upgrades going in to the Saints' home field. Yeah, yeah, there's a ton of great stuff, uh, you know, different club seating, things like that, um, you know, a, a, a kind of fresh approach to what the ambiance is as you walk through, new, you know, big TV screens all over the place and everything. I mean, there, there's a ton of really cool stuff that's going into this new kind of Superdome renovation to make it, you know, kind of upgrade it a little bit and, and, and bring it all in and bring it all together in a way that makes the Superdome, another you know, high-class sports destination upon it, add some, you know, exterior, like, you know, uh, vantage points and things like that to it. All these great things that they're doing are going to make it a little bit more kind of state-of-the-art or at least bring it a little bit closer, updating it uh, to what's expected in today's NFL stadiums. And especially with 
New Orleans expected to host the uh, senior, Super Bowl, excuse me, here in a few years, and you know that being you know, a continued the, the Superdome continuously being recognized as a great place to host the Superdome you know, or the Super Bowl. You want to have those upgrades. You want it to be you know something that matches up to other teams, excuse me, other fans, uh, teams' home base when they come to watch their teams play in the Super Bowl and things like that. And so keeping up to date and keeping kind of pace with the rest of the NFL is important when it comes to things like this. It shows an investment from the organization and the city and the team and the organization and the city in one another. So it's a good relationship move as well. So there's a lot of great stuff about it. And I do think that Saints fans is going to be pleasantly pleased with uh, what we've been able to see. They've been doing a great job kind of displaying all of the uh, moving some of the walls and what was going to be going in and all these other things. And it, it's going to be it's going to be pretty uh, sizable in terms of what happens, and it's going to be pretty impressive as well. July 26, Michael Thomas says he'll be a full go for the Saints, and I know that that makes a lot of Saints fans happy, including the new quarterback, Derek Carr. But one of the things that Coach Allen has been able to do here as OTAs ended last week was put the team together in a, a little different bonding situation. You know, you only get those 10 days or 10 practices to get together, and he decided to go ahead and listen to some of his other players, and they decided to go ahead and break away from the normal practice and I think that that's a team bonding concept that I think is pretty cool. Yeah, they, they did a couple of different things over the <laughs> different units have done a couple of different Derek Gar photo uh, in which Derek Carr I guess, uh, you know, caught himself a big little alligator gar and everything and uh, it's pretty cool like to see those types of things. I mean, you see other teams do things like this all the time too. There was another team that canceled the last day of OTAs to go out to go up paintballing and things like that. So, you know, these team building Opportunities, especially with an organization and with a roster and locker room that is so fixated on its culture, which I think I use the word fixated actually in a positive sense in that way. But they focus so much on their culture and their togetherness and their ability to play together and work together to do all these things that it's just another opportunity to be able to do that. And it's not a you know. And look, Dennis Allen did that with OTAs. Cam Jordan took the defensive line and uh, the Saints Hall of Fame golf tournament where several no participated. Demario Davis took. Some of the players over on the defensive side out to uh, Dave and Buster's over in Portress near the Superdome and all these other things. So you always see a lot of these kind of ancillary events that take place where you see the bonding and the team experience and stuff like that. Uh, and it's always really, really cool uh, to see. But great to see it, you know, come from the top down, right? To, to come from the head coach and say, hey, here's what we're doing. And for everybody to kind of find another way to get to know each other, to, you know, be there for one another and be ready to play for one another once that time comes. Ross, look forward to keeping up with your coverage of everything the Saints as they get ready for July 26 to start their training in July and, and get ready for the season opener September 10th. And I know that, you know, there's been so much good news with LSU baseball making it to the College mm -hmm. World Series. And I know you, you're pulling for I say LSU in three games in the College World Series. Rocco's, it's going to with the football bad news. And you, you look at the basketball bad news. There's National mm -hmm. Championship women's basketball great news. But uh, as yeah. a whole, LSU is, is really trying to bounce back and looking forward to an all-SEC College World Series championship, and I know you're pulling for your, your Bayou Bengals. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited about that. And, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't also recognize the uh, women's gymnastics team who made it to their finals as well. And so lots of great things happening uh, 
you know, up the road in Baton Rouge, as we say. I know they're an hour and 15 minutes away, but we'll just call it up the road. Jordan Hawkins, who, of course, is the cousin of Angel Reese, yep. the uh, superstar with LSU women's basketball. So lots of cool things happening uh, in the state of Louisiana. As I always say, Louisiana versus all y'all. I know y'all in Alabama, but hey, Louisiana <laughs> versus all y'all. We're ready to go. And we'll take it. We'll take it. You know, that, that big matchup coming. And Brian Denny, we're looking forward to that rematch with the LSU Tigers. Mm-hmm. Ross, how can people follow all of your great coverage of Saints and everything else that's going on in New Orleans? Yeah, absolutely. You can find uh, the Saints coverage over on Locked on Saints, uh, which is a podcast that you can find on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked on Saints. It's new episodes every single Monday through Friday, and then some making sure that you're up to date on everything you need to know in about 30 minutes or less. Uh, you can also find written work over at Saints.media, that Saints uh, News Network, which is Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. And you can find uh, additional written coverage over at CrescentCitySports.com as well. Ross, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Absolutely, guys. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Y'all take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Ross Jackson joining us this afternoon here on the final drive, giving us... War Eagle, this is Ross Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. want to thank... Ross Jackson for jumping on with us and keeping us up to date with what's going on with the New Orleans Saints. Of course, they ended their OTAs and looking forward to that July 26th date. And, you know, Michael, I don't know if you were aware that those renovations were getting ready to go on at the Superdome, but anytime you bring a Super Bowl into your city, you want it to be and look the best and have all the renovations. So these phases are going to be right in time. So when the Super Bowl hits, New Orleans is going to be ready. What uh, what year is the Super Bowl? Uh, if he said it's two so, years out, I'd be willing to bet you 20, 23, 24. Plan into effect to where the Saints will be playing in the state-of-the-art digs. And, and, you know, you always rotate it around to where sometimes you do see college football finding so even with the college football expansion you still may find a national championship game finding its way down to the city of new orleans because i know this much i would much rather there be a national championship game in january in new orleans versus when it was in indianapolis and it's minus 20 degrees on the outside no doubt about it i mean the, having the national championship in new orleans i think it was there when uh when lsu won in 2019 if i'm not mistaken which worked that worked out pretty well for uh, for the Tiger fans, so good on them, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, obviously Alabama playing in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State last season, so you know, bowl games in, in that stadium. Yeah, you get a chance to to really see what's going on, and I, I think that as far as from a college football standpoint, I mean, we we've talked about the expectations of what they are here in this 2023 season as we prepare for SEC media days. Of course, when you look SEC East, you have Georgia trying to go ahead and win another division title. And the the last one before we go to divisionless football and LSU looking to defend it. And I think that that's something that a lot of people going into this time last year of division football, you just you have to really say, okay, well, you think that Georgia is going to be the favorite again. You think it's going to be someone else besides Georgia Bama this year? I, I, I you know, to be honest, no, I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I think that you're going to see yeah. uh, uh, what you can go ahead and make that easy check. 
and you can go out. On Says a everyone's got Georgia Bama. What you got? Oh, Georgia Bama. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those that I'm just going to go right along with what I felt it would have been last year and what I think yeah. it's going to be again this year. I'm not going to change my thought process on that. Now, how many losses will Georgia come in with? Probably none. See how many will Alabama come in with? We, that's the question mark. And that's what you look forward to seeing as a college football fan week to week. I'm one that you can't take anything for granted, any games for granted, anything. Playoff. Loses to Texas. Loses another game in the SEC. <laughs> and, and is still able to find a way to, to – I mean, they have to win the SEC West at that point, obviously. Uh, you have to beat Georgia in the SEC championship. But you, you have to be an SEC champion in this scenario. Otherwise, we saw what happened when you lose two games last year. I, I but. will say this. Uh, we, we, we do have a, a Mississippi State Bulldog graduate and a former player that has joined us in studio. Who, who's He's got his Mississippi State threads on, and he went ahead and flexed on us to let us know. And you guys have George and Bama. He's going to put his Mississippi State Bulldogs in the SEC championship to represent. And Blaine, uh, you wouldn't have it any other way this of course blaine prepped at baker high school and went on to be a very successful offensive lineman at mississippi state and goes into the league and now wants an opportunity to give back to our youth so he's having an offensive line camp for all the big fellas that are overlooked there and look you're not going to be a great quarterback without an o-line in front of you a great running back either for that matter so we'll talk to blaine clausell Next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Reese. You're listening to 105.5.